and welcome to Living Stones, a podcast of conversations with the people of Red Mountain Community Church, highlighting the victories and struggles, the snapshots and stories of the people sitting right next to you on Sunday morning. And if not sitting next to you now, we hope soon, as we would love to have our church family all together again on Sundays, as soon as wisdom and circumstances allow. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions and your fellow seat warmer at Red Mountain Community Church. My co-host today is Bob Fox, our pastor of what? I can't remember, Bob. Do we just keep you around as a good luck charm now or a mascot or what, what, what do you do? I'm the, uh, I'm the pastor to blame. Oh, okay, gosh. There you go. If there's a problem, it's Bob's fault. <laughs> so he is our pastor of guilt. He is pastor yeah, of guilt. Yeah, yeah. There you go. No, actually, actually, what I do is I do what Kyle tells me to do. Okay. And, uh, it's great. It's great. I assist him in whatever way he needs it. I'm a firefighter and that type of thing. So. Oh, nice. There you have it. Nice. Well, I'm glad that we that we have you on, I, I can only imagine the benefit that you are to other younger pastors who can learn from a seasoned pastor like you. And um, yeah, so I, I appreciate having you. And if you ever fail to be useful, we'll just send you off to the North Pole segment. Yeah. It's time here for the poll segment at, our, uh, at rmcchurch.org slash podcast is where you can go to be a part of the poll question each month. This month's poll, did you like that transition, Bob? I planned that out. Did you like that? That's really good. That's thank you. That's thank uh, you. unbelievable. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. This month, <laughs> this month's poll question was: Would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors, or go into the future and meet your great great grandchildren? Uh, this was really close. The, uh, those who said they wanted to go to the past represented fifty-one percent of voters, and forty-nine percent said they uh, would rather go to the future. Some interesting comments. Uh, Lindsay Jury said, future, then I could see if I'm doing well on the legacy I intend to leave. Trent Martin said, future, because I could see what the future is like and the trajectory of my family line. And uh, let's see, Hallie Carl said, hard choice, but I think my ancestors, particularly any that knew the Lord. And Sidney Crimmon said, Prob's ancestors want to know who they were and how our family ended up how it did. Bob, what, what, which one would you uh, go with? Oh, I think I'd go future. Oh, yeah, I why is that? I think I'd go future. Yeah, yeah. So what, Why, why would you want to go to the future? future? Um, to, is it well, like to I talk to you? Because the idea is talking to either your ancestors or your descendants. So yeah, why, yeah. Uh, your great-great-grandchildren, so... Um, or great, 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 great grandchildren or whatever. So wh why would you want to go to the future and talk to your descendants? I think I might, I might, uh, understand the past better. Hmm. You know, what, what, what was going on? Like with, uh, what the Lord was doing, really doing through things and what he was accomplishing and so on. Hmm. Yeah. I think for me, I would... I would choose the future. I would see if somewhere in my family line there's ever anybody that's interested in sports. Um, <laughs> see if I, I want to find the right descendant who not only is interested in sports, but has an encyclopedic knowledge of sporting events in history who can point me where to buy Gray's Sports Almanac. Do you know, do you know the reference I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. That's from Back to the Future when Marty went yeah. to the future 
and he got Gray Sports Almanac so he could go back in time and bet on all the, you know, but it ended but Biff ended up getting it and it all, you know, went downhill from there. But I, I think I would not make oh, the same boy. mistakes. I think that that's one way that sports could be useful to me is if I could get a hold of Gray's Sports Almanac from the future. So anyway. <laughs> well, oh, um, boy. Just a little bit ago, uh, Bob and I spent some time talking with Della Zwick uh, about a topic for which there is no fun, humorous transition. I was even thinking, like, there's lots of jokes about death, and uh, there's like there's some funny stories I could tell related to being a singer and um, and singing at uh, uh, memorial services. Um, in particular, one story about someone else that I'm glad happened to somebody else. But I thought, Peter, that's just going to be in bad taste. You can't tell any of those <laughs> stories. There, there's no good, funny, lighthearted transition. But we're talking about death. Um, and Della Zwick is uh, just uh, a wonderful person in our church family to talk about this uh, this challenging topic. And uh, so anyway, it was it was a great time that we had talking together. Here is that conversation for you now. Della, thank you so much for doing this um, and being willing to sit down and talk about this uh, uh, difficult topic. But I was uh, when when I brought this suggestion as a topic to uh, Jessica and Arian, um, and they mentioned you as uh, the idea for a guest. I just thought, oh, that's perfect. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my privilege. Um, you and I have interacted uh, pretty regularly over the years, but my interaction with you has been largely based around the the, the caroling ministry and kind of preparing that every year and uh, getting a list from you of who we're going to visit and stuff, because you're very in touch with uh, those in our community uh, at Red Mountain that are just going through very, very uh, difficult things. Um, so it, but So I'm like really excited to get to know this side of you and this and this whole realm of your ministry. So I, I want to say at the outset, before we kind of get into this, that uh, this is this this was kind of orchestrated, masterminded in a way, out of some very selfish motives of mine. Because, <laughs> because uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be 43 in April, and uh, four or five years ago when I could see 40 ahead of me, um, I, I realized that, I, that it was going to be important for me to try to do what I can to navigate this season of life well, when people are very stereotypically thinking about uh, death, mortality, whether their own or the, the potential loss of a loved one that they might have to deal with. Um, and so I've been uh, just navigating those thoughts, uh, leaning into them, because I don't want to have a midlife crisis, you know, I don't want to have it take me by surprise and just have this devastating experience. I would have what I would call a, a midlife sobering <laughs> that's going uh -huh. on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just want to lean into these things and uh, kind of have a steam valve that's constantly releasing pressure as I, as I process this stuff. And, and, but yeah, I'm, I'm, fa I'm faced more and more as all of us are, as we get older with things that, uh, 
uh, are reminding us of our mortality. You guys may or may not have noticed at this point that there's that my consonants, some of them sound a little bit different, my S's and T's, and that's because yesterday I just got an occlusal splint put into my mouth to treat hmm. something going on uh, with my, uh, it's a TMJ syndrome, stuff going on with my jaw. So it's just one more way in which, uh, and, and the symptoms that come with that, that I'm reminded, yeah, I am past my prime and I... <laughs> I am, I'm, uh, I'm heading the other way now, you know? Um, so, uh, I've really personally been looking forward to this and I'm hoping that as I kind of explore with, uh, both you and Bob, the things that are, uh, relevant to what I'm processing, I'm hoping that, that other people listening will find that they, they are either considering those things and, and interested in, uh, some responses, um, or, you know, maybe people will come back to this when, uh, they are facing some of those things in their lives that maybe right now aren't really on their radar for whatever reason. Um, but could you set the stage for us uh, and describe like what your basic job is at uh, Red Mountain Community Church and, and what kinds of activity it involves? Sure. I have been on staff at Red Mountain Community Church for the past 13 years. Uh, for the first several years, and I'm sure Bob remembers this, I was known as the director of Next Step Ministry, uh, but I found that I was spending a great deal of time explaining what that exactly meant. So uh, years ago, they changed my title to uh, director of family ministry, and that's a really a better fit uh, because I work in the family ministry department, uh, which is comprised of four people. It's led by uh, Pastor Dave, Amy, and... And uh, he walks alongside a lot of men and families in our church and helps them to grow closer to Christ. And then we have Connie Chapman, who works one-on-one with women. And she facilitates and uh, also trains leaders for our small group ministries and support group ministries. She's also a very wonderful teacher, uh, and uh, just for regular classes and also for Bible studies. And I don't know what we would do without our administrative assistant, Jennifer Davis, because she literally keeps us all on track. And she also really is a good fit because uh, she can jump in and help us uh, with the different things we're doing. Uh, She's facilitated many support groups and also Bible studies. Um, But the things that I do, I think they would be best classified as falling under what's called caring ministries. That's what uh, I think most of us understand the most. And one of my favorite things is that um, I get to do visitation. And I love visiting with people. I visit with people in hospitals and shut-ins and different situations. Um, I also meet with people one-on-one to talk about their relationship with Jesus. And also um, a lot of meeting with people uh, when they're going through difficult times in their lives, whatever that situation might be. Um, A big part of my job also is overseeing our funeral and wedding ministries. And I also uh, help to coordinate the Tender Loving Care, the TLC ministry, which deals with practical needs for people in our church, such as meals or errands. Some people write encouraging cards. Uh, Right now, I am facilitating two support groups. Uh, One is called Less Fret, More Faith, which uh, focuses on living in God's peace. And the other one is a mental health support group. 
And another very important ministry that um, I co-facilitate with my dear friend Marty Travis from our church is called the Shepherding Team. Hmm. And these are just a group of wonderful, mature Christians who are very caring, who come alongside other people to encourage them to grow closer to the Lord or uh, to disciple them. Um, and also a lot of times because someone, again, is going through a, a crisis in, our, in their life just because we all go through those periods of times. And I've also had the privilege over the last 13 years of being part of the prayer care group, which is our prayer team ministry of faithful volunteers who pray for the needs in our church community. And one ministry that I really miss right now during the pandemic is our nursing home ministry. Mm. Uh, we have a small team of people that uh, goes to um, Desert Blossom Rehab here in Mesa, and we uh uh, sing hymns and visit with the residents, and we provide a short message. And uh, we have not been able to do that, but hopefully at some point soon we'll be able to resume that. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, that covers a ton, a ton that you're doing. Um, and you've already kind of uh, answered my next question a little bit, but I, I want to just maybe lean into it, focus on it a little bit more. And that is, uh, can you describe the kinds of specific situations in your work that put you regularly close to those who are in the process of dying or who are grieving? Sure. One of the most important parts of my job, and, and meaningful too, is that I work with people uh, who are either uh, getting close to uh, passing away themselves or they have a family member uh, who is in that process. And uh, I also help to get people in our church to come alongside them to just uh, gather a team around uh, people when they're going through such situations uh, because uh, we all need to care for one another as a, a church family. Um, and as I said, I do plan f uh, funerals and celebrations of life here at church. Mm -hmm. And I think I, uh, it, I came to a new awareness of what an important part that was of my life uh, quite a few years ago um, because I went to go visit a woman in the hospital and she didn't know me, uh, but I knew her significant other and, and he was there too. And I was explaining my role um, and why I was there to see her uh, when all of a sudden he said to me, I can tell you who this lady is. She's the person who will plan your funeral if you don't make it. So oh, boy. I thought that was just like, okay, that well, that's true and everything. And, and it is such a privilege to do that when mm -hmm. someone is going through that situation. And I think about the verse in Psalm 116.15, I've always loved that says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of, of his saints. Mm. And what I found is that I have a front row seat almost on a daily basis. Uh, to the fact that we all must die and that this has increased my desire to live my life well for Jesus because mm. um, I just recognize from seeing everything that goes on around me that our time here is short. Uh, I see people who are healthy suddenly go to be with the Lord. I uh, see people who have long illnesses and you think it's coming soon, but you don't know exactly when. 
and um, a verse that has always spoken to me, and I think it speaks to all of us, and we it's good for us to contemplate, is Ecclesiastes 7.2, which says that it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. Uh, the living should take this to heart. Hmm. And I do indeed get a lot of opportunity to spend time in many houses of mourning. Hmm. And uh, I would also just say that um, I just I have so many memories of such special times, uh, even though they're difficult uh, when people are going through things like this, but the fact that they will allow you to sit with them to talk about memories of their loved ones. Hmm. Um, I also remember visiting a man who was, he was really struggling to breathe and he was going to die in the next few hours. And I came to visit and his family was all gathered around him. They were playing praise and worship music. And even though he was gasping for air, I will never forget the look of joy on his face. And he Mm. said to me, "Um, Della, just think of it. Any minute now, Jesus is going to come to take me to a glorious place to be with him forever. Ever. Hmm. He just meant that with every ounce of his being. And I just thought, that is so very true. Even through the struggle, you could see that. You don't always get to see that, depending on how someone passes away. Hmm. And I have been there like with a recent, like several years ago, with a, a very dear friend of mine who was, um, she was very ill, and we knew that she wouldn't be on the earth much longer and I went to go visit her one day and um, she kept talking about the fact that she had that I needed to get her suitcase out she was in assisted living that she was Mm -hmm. going on a trip and the nurse in the room kept saying you know dear you you don't have any appointment schedule you're not going anywhere but she kept insisting that she was going on a trip and it was very important that she Mm -hmm. get ready and I knew when I uh, left from that visit that the Lord would be taking her home very soon. And sure enough, he did. And mm. that was so special to be there. And um, one other memory that came to my mind recently was of a dear lady in our prayer care group who uh, she was getting weaker and weaker, um, hadn't been coming to our prayer care group, which we understood. But one morning she decided that she would attend that morning and had a burst of energy. And she was very disappointed that Jesus had not taken her home yet. She was, you know, her body was tired and she was ready to go. And uh, that very evening, uh, she was in the room um, with her daughter-in-law. And her daughter-in-law ha- happened to look over at her mother-in-law and noticed something was going on. And she called out to her, and her mother-in-law had was reaching her arms up and looking into the corner of the room with a, just a beaming smile. And sure enough, she went to be with the Lord, which was her dear mm. desire. And um, by telling these stories, I don't want to take away from the fact that there can be a lot of suffering when someone's passing away. And mm. I know that none of us have the answer as to why such things happen the way they do. But um, I can truly say it's equally a blessing when there are no answers in overwhelming situations. And uh, what you see in these situations is that God does remarkable things in giving strength to people to get through these times. And I think all of us who have been around people who are passing away, we just 
don't know what to say because it just is inexplicable suffering. Um, we see and we just are just marvel at the fact that God is giving them such strength, and we think, oh, I couldn't do that. How are they doing that? It must be the Lord. And yeah. um, I think, you know, what I always think of is uh, Corey Tim Boom, who was. Uh, she was in a concentration camp in World War II with her sister Betsy because mm-hmm. they had been hiding Christians. And uh, she had a, she notes a memory that she had when she was a little girl. And um, her dad, uh, she said when her dad was tucking her into bed, you know, Papa, you know, what is it like to die? And he asked her, Corey, when we get on the train to go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket for the train? And she answered that he gave her the ticket right as they were boarding the train. He then said to her, when the time comes, your heavenly father will give you all the strength you need. And Mm. I always remember that when I'm interacting with people who are in the throes of it and Mm. there aren't any answers because God is there with us all. And that has just really encouraged me as I've done this work and as other people in our church too have come alongside people who are going through this. Mm. So it it sounds like it's not an uncommon thing, would you say, for you to be at times at least present when someone is actually passing away? Yes, it's not uncommon. It, it doesn't always happen. I would mm-hmm. say most of the time, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't happen at a time where I'm there, but um, sure. often I am. And uh, it, it is amazing that sometimes God will put on your heart that you really need to go see a certain person. Mm-hmm. And so when you respond to that, a lot of times what you'll find is uh, they're actively passing away. You step into the room and, uh, you know, they're, they're ready to pass away right then. Wow. Hmm. Uh, I want, Bob, I want to turn to you for a minute here. I I told you in email before we were doing this that like in a sneaky kind of way, I'm also wanting you to not just be a co-host, but a (laughs) co-guest for some of these questions because because you've been in ministry for so long and you've been in small churches uh, both prior to Red Mountain and and when Red Mountain was much smaller. Um, and I, I assume that in your work, you also have had a number of up-close experiences with grieving and with people dying. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the types of situations that you have been in over the course of your ministry that have uh, also put you regularly close to those who are dying and grieving. Well, I haven't been in those situations near as often as Della but mm-hmm. I would just uh, heartily agree with what she said. You do see the grace of God uh, come into one of his children's life when it's time for death. You see, uh, even when they're diagnosed terminally, you begin to see that work of grace. And uh, it really is an incredible thing. And I think that none of us, uh, none of us have the ability to summon that courage for no reason. You, you'll you mm-hmm. never feel adequate for that moment. But uh, over and over again, I've, I've seen that. And you do see uh, some things that you'd put in the realm of miraculous in terms of the moment of death. Mm. Uh, the, the Lord is so very, very present in that moment, perhaps, I think, probably more than at any moment in our lives from what mm. I've seen and what I've uh, heard from Della and so on. I just, uh, I just really believe that's true. Uh, I would, I would also say that Della is very, very 
gifted in special ways at, at this. And by, by that, here's what I would say, that uh, she has a spiritual gift, an ability to, to be merciful and empathetic and offer uh, and feel sympathy. That's a gift. But there's also what I would call just the anointing of the Holy Spirit, where in the moment, uh, she just does exceptionally well and uh, expressing some of those things and the care of all of us to people. But even in saying that, I, w I would also want to add that this is a ministry and a work that is, which is all of our work. We can't delegate this one. Um, we have to, uh, or we, we should want to respond when the Holy Spirit prods us to go see somebody or talk to somebody that we know is in this situation in life. Uh, just uh, just remember, we, we can't really delegate it all off. And Della couldn't possibly do it. There's just too much more, or much more suffering and death than one person in the church can handle. So it is the work of all of us. And I would say that no matter who you are, no matter how you're wired, no matter how you're gifted, if you're just faithful and wade into that moment, the Lord will use you. Hmm. Um, you'll be surprised what you can do. And the great thing is you don't have to feel under obligation to say some profound thing that's going to fix it. Um, just go and be faithful and listen and be present. And if you can do that, you can minister in the moment. And if the Lord wants more, he will He will undergird you in that moment. So I don't know if I've answered uh, your specific question, Peter, but um, I, I would just... I would just say that uh, that's what I've learned, watching Della, being there with, in those situations apart from Della and in different different uh, places that I've been in. And those are the things that I would pass on. It's, uh, hmm. it's just a great, great thing to experience. Not a whoopee-doo moment, certainly, yeah. but uh, a profound moment, I'd call it. Hmm. Well, thanks for sharing those thoughts. Um, and Della, I, I will want to get some similar thoughts from you on just how we can be equipped for those kinds of situations and moments, but we'll circle back around to that in a little bit. Um, I want to first ask you, Della, what are some different ways that Christians react to their own approaching death as as they see themselves getting closer to it? I mean, how does, say, dying affect their faith? Or how does perhaps faith affect their, their process of dying? I think that's a really excellent question. And I have seen devoted followers of Jesus face their own impending death in so many different ways. And um, unless you pass away suddenly, it appears to me that everyone goes through a process of coming to terms with the fact that they are dying or that their loved one is dying. Um, of course, that means that there is grief. Um, we don't grieve as someone who doesn't have hope, but uh, it is a lot to come to terms with that you are going to be with, soon be with someone um, that you out with something that you really, really love or that you are going to be leaving this earth and not be with your loved ones much longer. 
Uh, I, I also find that it's very normal for some people, for actually for all of us at different points, to have a fear of, of the dying process itself. Uh, maybe not so much that I'm afraid to die if I have faith in Christ, but um, just the unknown of what that's going to be like. And yeah. You know, I've seen people, some people are so eager to, sh- to share with everyone around them about the hope they have in Christ and to tell everyone how they can too have that assurance because they know their time's uh, short. Uh, but even these strong Christians do have periods of time of doubt and fear, which is so normal. And God is so compassionate. And the scriptures say he knows that we're weak and that we're but dust. He just has such great compassion for us. Mm-hmm. And um, I've also seen that because we're all in a different process, um, when we're in that dying process, that some people are kind of, they kind of remain in that um, that time that time period where they're feeling... Like, uh, I don't even want to talk about this or I really admit to myself that this is what's going on. So I've seen very mature, devoted Christians who, for whatever reason, it's overwhelming and that's how they handle it, which is fine because the one thing that stands out to me the most is that it's not about our faithfulness, uh, it's about His faithfulness. Hmm. And He is faithful to us no matter where we find ourselves. And one of the most powerful examples I thought of um, uh, to just kind of illustrate what I'm talking about here is I have uh, my my brother-in-law who passed away from cancer at the age of 53. And he was a very devoted Christian. He impacted so many people for the Lord. And he faced his own impending death with tremendous faith. Um, But just as I mentioned, that uh, even those people that have great faith sometimes will still struggle with periods of fear and anxiety, and Brian did that. That was very hard for him, and sometimes Mm. he was fearful to go to sleep, but he Mm. kept clinging to the Lord during that time, and uh, as he approached his death, he and his family were watching this series of sermons on Psalm 23, and it really captured their hearts, and especially Brian. He kept talking about how Brian was his good shepherd, and they were exploring that. He was really holding on to it, and uh, one day, uh, he was it was close to when he was going to pass away, he woke my sister up, who was napping on a sofa next to where his hospice bed was at home, and Brian, who never seemed to remember his dreams, told her that he wasn't sure whether he had, ha- he had seen a vision or he had had a vivid dream. He thought it, w- it might be very real what he had experienced, but he just didn't know. And he said he was laying in his hospice bed, just like he was then when he was talking to my sister, and he felt a really compelling feeling that he was supposed to turn his head and look back at the glass door, which was right in back of him. And when he did this, he saw a man peering in at him. And he described that he didn't feel any fear. He felt the exact opposite, complete peace, Hmm. unbelievable love coming from this person. He also described how he was dressed and said that he had a staff in his hand. Hmm. My sister immediately exclaimed, you know, this this must be Jesus. And Brian agreed. And... um, it really just made all of us think of the fact that in Psalm 23, 4, um, which they had been studying, says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So, um, it just I think when I see um, how people react, again, it's just amazing how God just comes alongside of us. And mm. 
uh, the things that he does to encourage us and some of the things we see and others we don't because I'm convinced in that when people are kind of like they seem unconscious or not really able to communicate that something might very well be going on with them with the Lord and he provides what we need. Uh, I want to... um... I want us to be willing to to lean into something that maybe is uncomfortable or dark. You're very, you're so compassionate, Del. I so appreciate that you're in that you're doing the kind of ministry that you are. But I, I, I'm wondering, I'm curious if there are, you know, as much as we would want to um, do things, think about things, and experiences that will bring us hope for our own, uh, you know, eventual time when we're going to be dealing with these things. Can you tell me, are there any believers you've had experience with who their final moments were sheer terror or anxiety for them as opposed to some of these more encouraging stories? I um, I have. I haven't really seen uh, someone in terror, but not at peace in the yeah. least. And mm. uh, is... Uh, a couple of people I'm thinking of, they just uh, didn't want anything to do with Jesus, even though their family members had expressed this to them. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure what happened, but the experience did seem to be different in that it didn't uh, didn't have that feel of peace that you often get. Even when someone's struggling at the end, it seems like there's peace right at the end, just in those couple seconds before someone passes away, generally. So I'm not sure what that means, but I have noticed in those particular situations uh, Mm. a lack of peace. Now, the situation you described, it sounded like the, the, the ones who were passing were not professing believers? Right. So right, I'm, and only I'm, only two of them I can think of right now. So I'm curious if if any professing believers have had uh, a similar kind of passing where it's just there's been you've not sensed that they had peace and it seemed you know to be a really uh, uh, almost a, maybe a despair or anxiety in those final moments. Any any believers? I wouldn't say despair. I would say great grief on the part of the loved ones that are there. And watching that struggle uh, mm-hmm. is very difficult. Yeah. Um, but what it seems like people get very quiet right before they pass. I see. Okay. Um, thanks for being willing to go there. Um, Bob, uh I want to kind of put this question on you now. What are some different ways? Uh, you can just echo what uh, Della said if you don't find there's anything to add, really. But I'm curious, what, what are some different ways that you found Christians react to their own approaching death as they see themselves getting closer to it? And more specifically, how have you seen dying affect their faith? Or the reverse of that, how have you seen faith affect their process of dying? Well, I would say that uh, sometimes initially when someone uh, sees more clearly their end, either they're diagnosed with a disease that's terminal or uh, there's an event that that moves them closer to that rather dramatically. Um, There's a variety of responses. uh, And I would just just say that um, there's a mixture of grief and a mixture of composure it happens differently, and I would tell people that if they would get that news, they don't. It's not important that they act right. Uh, mm. In other words, I don't want them to feel the pressure to say the right thing in that moment. 
Yeah. In fact, I think if they bury their anxiety and their fear and their grief and disappointment and their maybe even a little anger, uh, I think it'll it'll be pretty unhealthy the whole process. Hmm. Um, but on the other hand, it is important to arm ourselves against those things and to utilize faith in what we know to be true and what we've learned and what others might uh, share with us in those moments. So uh, you have to be ready to process the full gamut of emotions. And the Mm -hmm. only times I've been concerned is when I felt like there wasn't any negative. Uh, Mm -hmm. In other words, there wasn't any grief and sorrow and weeping and, and so on. Now, as, as death gets close, uh, you know, there are some diseases that are so painful that uh, one of two things happen. Either, either the body is so, so racked with pain and there, it's being felt and experienced that the person has a tough, tough passing. Um, nowadays, however, usually that isn't the case because they can deal with the pain. And so sometimes they're, you know, they're just gone, even though they're there. Oh yeah, and so on. They're they're just gone because they're so heavily sedated. So mm-hmm. those factors do come into play, but I would generally echo what what Della has said. You see, uh, faith even supernaturally take over mm. uh, if they're practiced in it, um, mm. and uh, that's that's pretty profound to see that you don't even know for sure what what uh, mental capability they have in the moment, and yet there seems to be in them this composure and this calm. And Mm. I've seen that in a number of ways. So anyway, those are my thoughts. Um, Della, do you notice any perhaps common ties between Christians who seem to handle their approach to death better uh, than others, or common ties between Christians who maybe seem to handle their approach to death worse than others. I mean, things like, I don't know, personality makeup, element of faith. This is a selfish question because I am, I'm very much wired to, uh, for my mind to go to dark places, and I deal with the what-if monster a lot. I mean, I can, I can have the facts to comfort me about, say, the, the, the nature of Jesus' resurrection and, and all the historical evidence, I can have all that stuff down pat, but then this what-if monster that I have to silence again and again says, well, what if somehow you've missed something? What if it's all baloney? And so I have this, I have this, this uh, personality type, this wiring that seems to lean me in the direction of, uh, of uh, certain tendencies emotionally and in terms of my thought life. And so I'm curious whether it's personality makeup or elements of their faith or any other common ties, uh, because people are so different. Um, so have you noticed any common ties that, uh, that group together how you know, different people who handle uh, their approaching death and their passing better or worse? I think what Bob said is very true that, you know, we need need to be honest with our emotions. So people do better when they talk about these things with someone they trust, or it could be a pastor um, or just uh, somebody that's very close to them to process them. And I think also that it makes a profound difference when a Christian facing death chooses to turn toward Jesus for his help instead Mm -hmm. of away from him. 
because we find ourselves in that situation over and over again in life, really, you know, in the midst of difficulties, um, we can, you often see people will turn away from him. And if they're true believers in Jesus, um, it doesn't mean that that he's gone anywhere. He's still with them. He's still gracious, but our human experience um, of his peace is going to be impacted. And so those who choose to turn toward him and ask for his help, <clears throat> he gives that. Um, he gives that in just large measure to people. So I think it's important to look at our tendency of whether we're turning away or to him. And I also find that people that have really taken God's word to heart, they've studied their Bible, and these <clears throat> verses make such a profound impact in their lives that um, that is something that people cling on to uh, in their hour of deepest need uh, and just pull those verses out. And even when they're in a place where they can't really express those and um, you know, they're still there. Uh, one powerful example I have of that is, uh, I believe I was talking to a former pastor at our church, and he was telling me about a woman who, her life verse was Second Timothy one twelve, which is, I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Mm. And what happened in her dying process is she was able to say um, less and less of that verse. It just got harder and harder for her uh, to the point where she really wasn't able to speak at all, just very barely. And mm. right before her death, someone got very close to her and noticed that what she was saying was him, him, him. And then they somehow did make the connect connection that she was clinging to that represented all of that verse to mm. her that uh, he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him mm. until that day. So it was like an expression of her faith in him and how comforting comforting that was for her, I'm sure, and just such a lifeline. And that's what God's word can be. That's what having people around us uh, many times can be too, because when we get uh, uh, to the point where we're really hurting, many times we have that tendency to just want to isolate, but to allow some people to walk alongside you too, um, that could be powerful. And and that's why part of the reason why church community is so important. Hmm. So th that's what I have noticed. And have you, I, I, maybe you don't... Uh since you enter into their lives at, at you know toward the end in many cases maybe you don't have a chance to get to know uh, many of these people uh in their personalities like prior to learning of their of their death but i'm wondering if that what you've described uh holds true also for those who have pre-existing tendencies toward anxiety it do it really does because uh, it just uh, all about, again, how God knows our weaknesses and he knows how each of us are wired. And it takes one step toward him for him to provide all these different things for us. So I think it, it really doesn't matter what the personality is or the struggles are that he is so faithful when we mm. turn toward him and he mm. provides what's needed. Yeah, I would Peter, if I could just jump in on that. I feel yeah. like uh I feel like when we are practiced at 
at forcing ourselves to look at our anxieties and so on in the lens, through the lens of Scripture, when we practice that starting younger, why we're, we're prepared better to do that in this crunch moment better. And uh, so I have noticed people with high anxiety that are, have been coping with it all their life do, do quite well when it comes down to this last thing that we're really concerned yes. about. So I, I feel like uh, if we can begin the process of dying, much like what you described is happening to you right now, where you're realizing, hey, there's an end to the road. Uh, and if we can do that without it, it depressing us, and if we can realize, yes, that day is going to come, but on the other hand, uh, I have some work years ahead of me where I'll do my best work if I walk with him. If we can kind of hang out of both those things, then I think we're prepared to die, or, or more prepared to die than if we just uh, kind of said, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know? So yeah, uh, practice practice yes. helps. And if we're used to ruling our hearts uh, in living, we'll be prepared to rule them well at, at that last moment. Hmm. Well, thank you, both of you. That, that uh, hits me pretty personally and is encouraging to hear. Um, like I said, this is all very selfish, <laughs> what I've planned out here. <laughs> I've uh, roped you both into a, a public counseling session for Pater. <laughs> well, I, I tell you something. We all need I it. <laughs> I, would, I, would tell, I think that needs to be affirmed in you because I think it's very normal. For me, I felt that at about 37. I'll never forget it because I was mm. so athletically focused that when I lost a step, which we all do, I recognize mm. that. I, I recognize from here on there's going to be this series of losses. And so it becomes really important to focus on the inner man as being renewed day by day because mm. I, I have carried it with me all my life that, yes, these outward things are happening. And when you're in your 40s, you start understanding what your issues are going to be. Mm. And, uh, you so know, true. you get you get x-rays, you get this and that, and the doctor tells you, hey, this is this is looking kind of bad, these mm. various joints and this and that. And uh, you just have to govern that with the fact that your inward person is being renewed day by day mm. and uh, learn the depth of the meaning. Oh, my God. So I would just encourage him. And I, I think I think you're approaching it right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Thank you. Um, so speaking of kind of uh, getting a little personal here, we are, for those of you who haven't figured out as you're listening, we are recording this uh, remotely where all three of us are separate from each other. Um, and that's because, Della, you live with health issues that put you at risk during times now with COVID-19 being a very uh, still a very real concern. So um, I wonder, what can you tell us that you're comfortable with about your condition and how serious it is? Yes, I'd be glad to. Um, I would say that up to 10 years ago, I had had um, a series of health scares. And for whatever reason, for each health scare, God just delivered me out of them. And 
I didn't know why that was happening, and I often didn't talk about that because I thought that doesn't always happen for other people. It doesn't always ha- it won't always happen for me, and I can just give one example of such a thing, and that is that my identical twin sister has been through aggressive breast cancer twice. Mm. And the first time that she was diagnosed 13 years ago, um, I all of a sudden became aware that now I'm at high risk. And so they sent me for a breast MRI. I'd already had mammograms, but that's another level um, to look closer. And on the very first MRI, they found that there was a small mass in the same breast, in the same location Mm. as my Mm. sister's breast cancer was. Uh, well, that definitely led to anxiety, and I had to to lean into God to, and wait on Him, and learn how to, you know, do things were healthy to deal with that, um, with the anxiety. But when I went in for the biopsy, it's all set up for that, and they were prepping me and everything. But um, the technicians. Uh, the radiologist, they had a couple of radiologists came in. Uh, they couldn't find where it was, so I just ended up walking away from that. And I thought, wow, you know, there's another thing that God yeah. has done for me. I was so very grateful, and um, I've not had any problems in that area over the 13 years, so I'm very thankful. But then 10 years ago, I developed a cough that just would not go away. And I had no particular risk factors or anything that would lead anyone to think that I would have a lung disorder. Um, but as they did the workup on me, they were finding that what I had is a disease called bronchiectasis. And that's the same type of damage that goes um, on for somebody who has cystic fibrosis, only hmm. mine isn't caused by cystic fibrosis. They think that mine is due to an autoimmune uh, disorder where my body just decided to attack its lungs. And uh, the situation worsened very rapidly. And over the course of just a couple of years, I was spending more and more time just trying to clear my lungs. They were giving me expensive equipment to do that. And I was just absolutely exhausted. And I kept thinking, I cannot do this. Um, but you you don't have a choice. You have to. And they knew I had permanent damage to my lungs. And what's more is they started to realize that my oxygen level was very borderline. And I would be scared to go to the doctor's office because they would say, oh, your oxygen's a little under 90. So you need to go on oxygen. And I was just trying to avoid that as long as I could. But really, you know, struggling uh, to get enough air most of the time. Hmm. and uh, didn't know where that was going to go and had to really depend on the Lord about what he had for me in that situation. And then four years ago, just for no particular reason, it simply improved dramatically. I don't have any explanation for this at all, although I was prayed over by the elders and a lot of other people were praying. Um, But my oxygen level went from being borderline to completely normal. And... um, uh, my situation was pretty serious at that time uh, when uh, I was going through that because I had a doctor who did lung transplants who lo- evaluated my lungs. And he said, you're headed for a double lung transplant. Hmm. So I knew that was there and that whole situation changed. I was no longer a candidate. Um, I've been able to do everything that I have wanted to do. Um, I do have reminders that my lung capacity is not as good as it should be, but I'm thankful that I'm able to do what I can do. But the pandemic has certainly 
shown me that, um, you know, I definitely met high risk. And so that has changed my life in a way that I didn't anticipate because I need to now stay home and uh, try to prevent uh, from getting COVID because I would be, you know, considered to be at very high risk. But I am thankful for the fact that God gave this to me because I have had to depend on him in an even deeper way. Uh, Mm. He truly is a keeper and sustainer of my life. And just like the Apostle Paul in the Bible, you know, talks about that he had a thorn in his flesh and we don't know exactly what that was. And he asked Mm. the Lord three times to remove it. And, um, you know, God's answer to him is that his grace was sufficient for him and that his power was made perfect in weakness. And that when we're weak, then we're strong. And I've I found that to be true for me because I am so very well aware that I'm just here by God's grace and uh, that he is keeping and sustaining my life. And um, I'm also thankful because just carrying this around with me like I do, um, I feel like it does give me more compassion for other people who suffer. Mm. And I would say the vast majority suffer a whole lot more than I do, but it gives me just a, a little taste of that. So, um, overall, I'm just, I'm just very grateful that uh, God has chosen to work in my life this way. Hmm. Now, given you know this combination of y- your own health concerns and the kind of work that you do, um, I mean, you you must be. Uh, I I would like constantly be thinking uh, about my own mortality. And so I'm I'm just curious, how have you been managing your own thoughts and feelings about both your own death and the death of, of those you love that that are that would still be ahead of you potentially? I think for the most part I do really well. I do think that the pandemic really stirred that up because um I'm someone now that I've experienced what it's like to not be able to get enough oxygen. And so I can well imagine what it might feel like to struggle with you know somebody who has severe COVID. So, uh, you know, there's no sugarcoating that for me. I know that that would be terrible. And mm. years ago, when I experienced just a tiny bit of what this might feel like when I was struggling with my oxygen levels, um, I kept asking the Lord, you know, please spare me from ever having to die in this particular way. Mm. Um, but the combination of my needing to stay at home during this time due to the high risk status, along with the heightened sensitivity I have due to the fact that I have suffered in that way previously. And then also two years ago, my dad uh, passed away from lung cancer and I was there with him at mm. the end and I saw him struggling for air. Um, all all those things can really play with your mind. And uh, it's created a situation where I really have to cling to who God is at an even deeper level than where I was at before. Um, I know all of us as Christians, we go through times of spiritual warfare. And particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I experienced that at uh, different times. And I would be sleeping peacefully, would wake up, and there was literally a thought running through my mind, and uh, it was uh, something to the effect of, uh, you're going to die all alone. You are Mm. not going to be able to handle this, and, Mm. uh, you know, you're going to struggle in this way. And um, I learned anew the importance of 
reading and pulling out your scriptures and quoting those at those particular times. Mm. And that's the same thing that Jesus did when he was in the wilderness and being tempted. He used uh, scriptures um, and how powerful those things are, just like I was talking about Psalm 23, 4. That's a good one for me that, that uh, you know, when we walk that valley um, of the shadow of death, he's with us. So, we're not alone to do that. And then another one that I particularly love and, and cling to is Isaiah 43, 2, which says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And it's telling me that, you know, even if I'm in a situation like that, you know, God is in control as to whether, you know, I'm going to have to suffer in this way. And even if he does call me to walk that road, he's going to be with me uh, there. And uh, that really strengthens me when um, I let my mind go to those places. And Mm. I've also enjoyed uh, during the time of isolation, I've renewed my love of playing the piano and I love to play Mm. hymns. And I find that that's just such a rich source of, um, as I'm playing them, I'm thinking about the words to those hymns Mm. and the truths about God's sovereignty and his love for all of us and his faithfulness. And I come away from that just feeling much more at peace. And, I know that this uh, struggle that I have is is really no different than the struggle that each of us have. I mean, all of our wind and waves situations, our struggles, are they might look different from one another, but we have to remind ourselves, and we also in community have to remind one another of God's sovereignty and how much He loves us. And um, I have so appreciated uh, during this time where I haven't been able to join with a church community that um, I can do so because people call me, I call them, and they remind me of these truths and I get to do the same thing for them. So um, that's that's kind of how I'm dealing with things currently. Hmm. Well, hey, Donald, uh, thanks so much for sharing that middle-of-the-night experience, that waking up, because I think that's the common experience of many, many human beings. And um, I know I have I have dealt with those things over and over and over again. The thought that uh, just kind of sits there and begins to wipe you out. And even, yes. even you know, when you talk about a cough, uh, you know, there's a tendency in me to say, well, you know, I've had a little cough. I wonder, and, and your mind just begins to, transport you. Right. And I'm sure that's going to happen in the minds of people that hear this podcast. So thanks for sharing that you had it and then how you dealt with it, because I would testify that same thing. That's a moment of spiritual conflict. And I'm sure you would too, Peter, where you just, you face those dark, (laughs) those dark capacities that we we all have. And it's, it's crazy, crazy. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you, Della, bringing up uh, script, the use of scripture. Um, I, growing up, I, I really had a distaste for scripture memorization because uh, in my young years, before coming to Red Mountain, you know, we uh, went to a church where they had you, you know, memorize scripture, but it was that there wasn't an emphasis of the purpose behind it. And I've come to, uh, as an adult, um, really appreciate the value of memorizing scripture and making meditation 
on it part of the process so that really you are thinking about each word, each phrase, the ramifications, the implications of, of every word in a verse that you are memorizing. And you're, you, you are not just you know, memorizing them to chant them like a magic spell at some time, but so that the truth and the richness of the truth, the depth of the truth is so ingrained in you that when you call that verse to mind, there's a, an accompanying uh, wealth of truth that combats the uh, the thing that you're facing. You know, I think that uh, yes. the, val- the value of that and calling the high word in our hearts I mean, God understood the value of cognitive therapy long before you know, therapists yeah, ever figured exactly. it out. You know, we've got to, we've got to correct our we've got to be ready with truth and rich reservoirs of truth to combat these moments. And uh, and I, I feel like I'm just scratching the tip of the iceberg and have so much discipline to develop in that area. But to the degree that I've been moving in that direction of uh, meditating on and memorizing scripture in, in that, that in, intention and purpose, uh, you're right, Bob, it really does uh, make a difference in, in those moments. And so it's uh, really encouraging to just hear about, from both of you, about the role of scripture and truth uh, and clinging to those things and how God seems to use that. And above and beyond that, uh, meet with us in those uh, in those final moments. That's that's very very encouraging to me because I I think of you know as as a person who is a a, a what ifer, uh, I think to myself, well, I hear all these great stories about these believers that have this peace and stuff, but you know I'm the weirdo. I'm the one that's not going to happen for you know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so I identify to, with that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I identify yeah. with that. Yeah. So anyway, this this has just been wonderful. Uh, I as we uh, uh, kind of get come to the end here, um, I want to talk a little bit about um, quote unquote pairing for these things. You know, it, it seems um, obvious in some ways that we just can't prepare ourselves to deal with a certain approach of death. There there's a sense in which. Uh, we we cannot prepare um, or prepare ourselves for the loss of someone that we that we deeply love. But I'm going to ask the question anyway because I, I believe that there, as God calls us to 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 um, to walk with Him and grow with Him, and that can prepare us for so many other things of life. Um, at least in some sense, uh, I have to believe that we are able to, in some sense, be prepared more than we otherwise would be if we enter into some certain things. And so I, I, I'm wondering, how can we at least do our part to prepare for these almost inevitable circumstances of the human experience, whether that's realizing that own death is coming or experiencing the, on, uh, the approaching death of, the, of a loved one or, or it being in the wake of their passing? How, how can we do our part to in some way prepare for these things? I think the first thing that came to my mind is we need to make sure that we have put our trust in Jesus fully um, because there's only one way to be made right with God. And we have one life to do this in and we do not know when we're going to be called from this life because no matter whether you trust in Jesus or not, you are going to live for eternity. We all will. 
So that is a, the very first thing that occurs to me is to prepare well for our death or the death of loved ones is we want to speak to our loved ones about Jesus and explore where they are and, and uh, trusting Jesus and tell them the gospel. And we also need to you know check ourselves and make sure that we have trusted in him and that we have turned from our sins and, and know that he's the only one who uh, could pay the price for our sins. Um, because the consequences of of not doing that means that we will be banished from his presence forever in a place that is more terrible than we can possibly comprehend. And, and he doesn't want that for anyone, and we certainly don't want that for anyone either. So that is the first thing. And the, the second thing is that uh, we need to uh, really focus a lot on our relationships here on this earth because they're precious. We don't know when we're going to be called home. Uh, we don't know how much time we have with our loved ones here on this earth. And um, we need to cherish them and invest in them and um, not take that for granted and not get s- distracted by the things of this world, which is so easy to do in our society yeah. because we have so many comforts around us and it's just easy to get pulled off track to what is most important uh, in our lives. It could be children, but all of our relationships are important. And um, being with people who are getting ready to pass away uh, and I know we hear this from different sources too, but it is so very true. You don't hear people talking about, they wish they'd been more famous, they wish they had been more successful, Mm. all those things. What you hear a lot of is how much they love their loved ones, their concern for their loved ones, or um, sadly, sometimes that there's been, uh, you know, a a breach in the relationship and their regrets, Mm. uh, the part they played in that. Of course, there are situations where we cannot, um, we can't reconcile things because it takes two people to do that. But yeah. I think as much as it is possible that uh, we should see what we can do to live at peace with people and to uh, to cherish them. And I think... Uh, too, that we need to prepare, just like Bob was talking about, uh, spending time going deeper with the Lord and, and learning His Word, uh, being part of church community. Um, all those things do make a difference uh, because we learn how to deal with things in the and the way He wants us to live and to, uh, to focus on obeying Him, not because He's uh, this awful disciplinarian, because He knows the way for us to live best. And so um, to focus on that, to focus on, you know, what would he have for us and bring that before him, Um, spend time with him in prayer, listening to what he's telling you through God's word and, uh, and, and letting him know what's on your heart, even though he knows. The more that we do that, um, like Bob was saying, the more at peace uh, we will tend to be at the end of our lives, the more. Um, we can just accept that and know, you know, he's in control. He is with me, and I have this strong relationship with him. Yeah, you know, Peter, I would echo those those things. Uh, the summary is: if we walk in the spirit, um, then we'll be walking in the spirit. We'll know what that is, and we'll be more have more skill at it. Uh, where our life physically begins to come apart, and so on. I would say one other thing I think I've noticed, and I think Della will agree with this. When we're people who walk by the Spirit, we have the fruit of the Spirit. And believe it or not, when we have the fruit of the Spirit, we're 
the idea that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Uh, believe it or not, we get better health care. <laughs> I've seen yes. that over and over <laughs> again. Uh, cheerful, thankful, <laughs> grateful people. The, the people in medical facilities can't wait to help them. Whereas mm. if we're grouchy and we're complaining, we're self-serving, I've seen it. They just don't get the care. Mm -hmm. uh, it's grudging. It's given grudgingly. So, you mm. know, I, that's very, very pragmatic, but that is the way it is. So mm. uh, I think, I think uh, I've actually seen that uh, for divine reasons, but also for human reasons, um, people that walk in the spirit, uh, their whole death experience is, is not as severe. Hmm. Yes. Um, I, I also wonder, um, I feel like I put this in my notes and sent this question to you, but I'm not seeing it in my notes, so maybe I'm working off an older copy. Anyway, this, this should be a pretty straightforward one. Uh, Bob, you touched on earlier the idea of um, just being available and, and present and listening uh, for those who are grieving. And so I want to touch on that. A lot of this has been focused on how do we each individually deal with our own grief or our own um, approaching death. But, uh, but I also want to just give a brief opportunity for comment on how we can um, be a, a blessing to those who are grieving. I know there have been times in my life where someone I know has experienced incredible loss of a child. Um, there's a, a friend of mine who was a believer years ago who uh, lost a, a young child. And, and another friend of mine who is not a believer that lost his, uh, his father uh, a couple of years ago. And in both of those ways, I uh, I just felt unequipped, and yeah. um and that would give me a tendency to not talk to them, to not you know, uh, move into that situation because I'm like I don't want some pretty dumb thing. I want to, but uh, both for my friend who's a believer and for the friend who's an unbeliever, it's you know how do you what what do you say for someone who's grieving the loss of a loved one and and maybe I would put in there. Someone who is grieving, uh, I mean, there's different approaches, I would think, in some ways, or maybe it's similar, but there's different scenarios. You know, there's a person who's grieving who's a believer. There's a person who's grieving who's not a believer. There's a person who's grieving the loss of someone who was a believer. There's a person who's grieving the loss of someone who was not a believer. And we could still, there's still permutations of that. So um, what do you have to say, uh, Della, about uh, approaching and, and somehow being available to be used by God and to be a blessing to others who are grieving? I think that you've hit the nail on the head as far as what a lot of us feel when we're approaching these situations. We we care deeply about the people, but we think, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to say. And um, really, we need to take the emphasis off of that. Because uh, when you speak with people who have been grieving, they often do not remember exactly what someone has said anyway, but they do remember that you were there and mm. that that was very comforting for them. And mm. I think we have to come to the point where we feel uh, okay with the fact that we're awkward. Uh, mm. I think if you talk to any of us on staff, any 
person who goes and does these visitations, you know, sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, you'll know what to say. And the truth of the matter is, we we don't know <laughs> many times, you know, that what what should you be saying? It's, it's really the ministry of your presence. And at times, God will give you something to say, but you're really there to just comfort the other person. Um, God will show you how to handle that. And it's really just sitting with uh, someone and mm. um, taking your, I would say also it's important to take your cues from the other person because we all have different personalities. And that can be the most challenging part because some people want to spend a great deal more time by themselves and that's how they grieve, although they shouldn't be left completely alone. But other people want somebody with them almost continually because that's what's most comforting for them. So you have to kind Mm. of gauge that. But uh, at any rate, it's important to show up and uh, also, you know, we have a tendency with people to just say, uh, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? We all want to do that. I'll be praying for you. Just tell me. I'll be there. I'll, I'll do anything. Just tell me what to do. Well, that yeah. that places a burden often on the person who's grieving. And so uh, a better suggestion, I think, not that we can't say that, uh, but a better thing a lot of times is just to kind of observe what's going on around them and ask God to show you, uh, you know, what is one thing that looks like, uh, you know, would be a blessing to them. And Mm -hmm. then uh, just go ahead, just announce to the person, you know, I, you know, I'm going to be bringing dinner on such and such a day. You know, they will let you know if that's absolutely, no, please, you know, that you will, you will get yeah. the message if that's not to be, but it's yeah. just better to say, or, uh, you know, I'm going to run an errand to the store right now. Give me your list and I'll, I'll go pick up some things right now. Mm. Do things like that. Cause it takes the burden off them. And they're like, Oh, okay. Most people are just taken aback and very grateful that there are the, people the burden, there and doing the burden things being like that. that they- Sorry, the burden being, just to clarify, that what? That they don't have to come up with something for you yes. to do? Gotcha. Because you, you are not thinking in the same way you normally are. When you're grieving, you are consumed by uh, just the depth of everything you're going through. So it's harder to think. Most people, their response is, um, I, don't, I don't really know. I, I don't, okay, I'll, I'll let yeah. you know. Yeah. So they get a lot of that, and that can be just hard. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, Bob is, you know Peter, yeah, go ahead, Bob. Um, I would say that uh, the story in the Bible of suffering and friends visiting, there's one outstanding one. That's Job. You know that. And uh, yeah. they came and they didn't say a word for, I think, three days. But still, the problem came when they opened their mouths. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I do think the cardinal, the cardinal rule is be present and listen. Mm-hmm. Um be present and listen. If you do that, the visit's been a success. Uh, and the, the talking thing, I think, is uh, God gives you that. I agree with Della. God gives you that in time, and don't necessarily go with a text or a, a speech. Um, just go and be present and listen, hmm. and then enter into the the thought sharing and stuff just very carefully. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like, um, you guys can correct me if this isn't what you intended, but it sounds like two two ideas that come out from what you both said is is um, to be present and while you're being present, be content with A, awkwardness, and B, silence. Yeah. Would that be mm-hmm. accurate? Yep, yep. Yes. And, and I don't know of anybody that feels like they know what to do at a time like this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well... 
this has been uh, a wonderful conversation for me. Uh, you know, I know that uh, the, the topic of death probably doesn't seem like to many people something that would be a wonderful conversation to have, yeah. but I've been so grateful for this. I have been looking forward to this. There's even been a little bit of a feeling of excitement, like, oh, I get to talk <laughs> about death with Della, you know? <laughs> um, and I really have been looking forward to it. And and having you part of it as well, Bob, has just been wonderful. So uh, thank you, Bob, and thank you, Della, so much for for taking the time to talk about this difficult, but I think really, really vital topic with me. So glad to, to join in on this discussion and all the thoughts that both of you have. Well, you know, 10, uh, 10 out of 10 people's eyes, near as we can tell. So yeah. it's a pretty important one, and um, it's not super pleasant, but uh, very important, very critical. So thanks, Peter, for for having the guts to wait in. And thanks yes. for your own story, for leading oh, my, off with your own story. That's great. Yes. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. So I think we can end that segment there. That was great. How did you, how'd you guys feel about that? Good, I hope? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was very uh, easy to engage in the conversation. And I really did like the thoughts that you both had, and that made it a lot easier. Well, Della, nice. it's great to talk to you. You know, <laughs> I haven't talked yeah. to you or listened to you in this much in a year now. <laughs> I know. I just realized so, it's like in March, it's going to be a year. So let, hopefully yeah. I'm going to get my vaccine whenever they let Group 1C go, then hmm. I'll go get my vaccine. Cause I really... You know what I, t- I tell you about that? Just go get it. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm serious. I'm serious. We... Debbie had an appointment for Sunday night, this last Sunday night. She uh, she got the vaccine earlier in the week because she's a teacher. So she didn't need to go to that appointment. So we had the idea, let's load up and go down and see if they'll let me take your appointment. So we loaded up. We took Nancy and Keith with us. They looked in the car. They asked us a few questions. They said, you know, all of you are going to get the vaccine tonight. Wow. So wow. so when you go down to State Farm Stadium, there's a place where if you have a question, they'll point you to that place. They'll tell you, leave your lights in your car, your emergency flashers on, and then get in those lanes over there. And you can you can drive in there and, and they'll probably vaccinate you. I didn't see them turn anybody away. Wow. I wonder so. if they, they will do that though for groups because I know I thought they were sticking to like sixty five and up on that. Uh, no, they don't seem to be. I saw all different ages. And, uh, huh. yeah, all different ages doing that. And I think that the reality is there are, don't ask me why, but there's a bunch of people making appointments and not showing up. And they have all this vaccine. And I think, I think pretty much if you go down there, they'll vaccinate. And Dwayne Hendricks has had the same experience. Uh, oh, interesting. And even even what's her name, Chris, the lady that's in charge of all this, she said we're doing tag alongs because we have right now we have the vaccine, and so if somebody tags along and they want a vaccine, we do it. Nice. <laughs> wow. Well, so maybe I'll the, register and see if uh, they'll let me yeah, in. The registration is a disaster, but when you go down there, it is really smooth, and they've got it together. And we were, <laughs> we did all that, and we were in and out of there in an hour. Uh, did you did you register ahead of time? No, Keith and Nancy, 
and I didn't weren't registered. Uh, we Debbie had an appointment, and I think that helped. That, uh-huh. uh, but uh, I would just say that the early people you'll run into in the parking lot, they might ask you, "Do you have an appointment?" And just say, "I do not have an appointment, but I have." a question and I'm eligible for appointment and I have some questions and they'll let you through. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. So unless I might just uh, try that out then. Yeah. Take, just go down there and take I'll take Robin with it. me and maybe we'll both get li- our shots. <laughs> you're liable to. Uh, oh, yes. Della, I almost said this while we were recording, but um, uh, once you are in the clear and safe, I would love to have a little hymn sing with you and anybody else that wants to be a part uh-huh. of it because oh, I, yes, I, just, uh, I, I just appreciate the richness of so many hymns and, and the deep thinking that uh, was involved in writing their lyrics. And, uh, yeah, oh, me so too. I, I adore the hymns. That'd be awesome. <laughs> something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, during this COVID thing, I got to confess to you guys that one of the there was a hymn that has the Lord has just directed me back to, uh, and it's called Day by Day, Day by Day, and with each passing moment, that one. Hmm. Yes. I find to meet my trials here, and the three verses are so rich, the lyric, that the Lord has taken me over and over hmm. again to that. And the first two verses are kind of theologically uh, sound and good, and then you get to the third one, and it just says, help me then, in every tribulation sort of trust your promises oh lord yeah and that's so you kind of get this thing of you got prayer and you got the rich theology so i agree with you those those songs come back and minister yeah and verse three is where they often really hit it out of the park you know it's like we so yeah. often i know just, we just know the first two and we yeah. never in there in all the redos of, of modern hymns yeah. they just do the first two the, the first and last yeah. i'm like no 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 verse three that's yeah. where it's at <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I, sh- I should have quoted one of the the verses for my Jesus, I love thee, because it says, uh, mm. um, "I've loved thee in life, I I, I love thee in death." And it's talking yeah. about how you, how you're sitting there and you're you're dead, and never more will you love him, knowing yeah. that mm. this is what he's done for you. And it seems kind of morbid, but it's mm-hmm. it's, it's so very true. It's yeah. like you know. Yeah. In life and in death, and yeah. that's what's going to happen to you. But you know, when you see that this is what God has done for you, and you realize anew what that means. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, we could talk that's about right. this. I mean, we could do a whole other episode talking about this stuff. But, I, but we'll, <laughs> yes. we'll let you. We'll let you go, Della. Thank you so much for your Thank time. Thank you. Thanks for setting that Thank up. You. And thanks Thank for being better. on the podcast, Bob. Yeah, okay. you bet. Good to Appreciate talk to all of you. you. I am so glad that uh, that happened, that conversation <laughs> between you. That was you. great. That was great. Um, and there's so much there. I mean, this is like one of those episodes that for me personally, I think of the other one with Marty Travis a while back that was a very personal episode for me. Um, and I think likewise, this will be another one that I will come back to and continue mining things from that'll that'll really be uh, valuable to me personally. Um but just uh, for a moment, as we come off of it freshly here, what stood out to you? Is there something specifically that, that stood out to you uh, from the, our conversation with Della? I think what stood out to me, Peter, was that uh, 
we don't often talk about death together mm. uh, as people, but we think about it. And so it was amazing the commonality of of the anxieties of the three of us about yeah. death. Uh, different, you know, but a lot of similar ground there in, in how we feel about death and what those moments are like when we start to think about it. And that's comforting and it's strengthening. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, for me, what uh, jumped out was something that I, that Della said, and I think you uh, kind of echoed or affirmed as well. And and that is the idea that in those moments when when believers are approaching death, it's not really about them and their strength. Um, it's about God's grace and Him meeting them in that. That it's uh, you know we did talk about what we can do to prepare, but there was also I I I, I think I heard this uh, this recurring idea of it's it's the grace of God that He um, those that's a precious time that transition uh, through death is a precious time to Him for His saints and uh, uh, and that He meets us there. I was I was really surprised and encouraged even when I pressed Della. You know, to to think of a um, of a believer who really did not experience peace at the end, and she that that really wasn't her experience. Was that uh, her experience was that even though some it was more difficult because of physical things, um, or maybe they were just as you said so sedated that they weren't really mentally present. You couldn't get a sense of their state of mind, um, but that those that you could, there seemed to be across the board this uh, this. Uh, peace and that was very encouraging to me and uh, and and but at the same time I I feel really um, uh, affirmed in the direction I'm trying to move in and that is to lean into these thoughts but doing so in a way that God would want me to with His truth with the appropriate tactical truths in mind that uh, that will uh, support me in those moments and that the Holy Spirit will use to direct my my heart to a better place. So that's the long, that's much more long-winded than I intended to be. There was, I mean, like I said, there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot here for Peter Franson. <laughs> well, there's a lot in this subject. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that is it for this episode of Living Stones. You can follow Red Mountain Community Church on Instagram and Facebook and go to rmcchurch.org slash podcast to participate in our podcast question and leave us some feedback. But in the meantime, I'm Peter Franson. And I'm Bob Fox. There you go. You did it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Sunday. I'll say, in the meantime, I'm Peter Franson, and that's your cue to say, and I'm, and then what's your name is. You think you can can handle that? I better write that down.